Hello and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 6. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're at the right podcast. Today I'm talking about Season 6, Episode 19, Seeing Red, where the trio implodes, Spike assaults Buffy, And after a grueling defeat by Buffy, Warren strikes a fatal blow. I am Lisa M. Lilly, mystery and thriller author, story expert, and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. You can find my fiction at lisalilly.com. Along with a breakdown of seeing Brad, I'll talk about whether Spike's attack on Buffy fits his character arc, how the plot and character arcs convey themes in the episode about trust, misogyny, and what it means to be a real man, episode bookends that maximize the heartache and drama of the end, and the challenge in seeing Rad of sorting out a main plot despite all the drama and all the conflict. As always, there will be no spoilers except at the end when I talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Seeing Red aired the first time on May 7, 2002, and it was written by Stephen DeKnight and directed by Michael Gershman. And as you might guess, this is a really difficult episode to break down because Spike sexually assaults Buffy and because Warren kills Tara at the end. As it was hard for me to rewatch and break down, it might be hard for some of you to listen. So please, if you need to take a break while you're listening, I did that while rewatching and again while creating my outline for the episode. This episode starts without conflict at first because we see a very happy Willow and Tara in bed, clearly thrilled that they have reconnected. Willow asks when morning happened, and Tara says sometime after the moon went down. Willow comments on how good this feels, and she forgot how great it was to be together without the magic, but Tara tells her there was plenty of magic. This is one side of the bookends of the episode. Literary bookends occur when we start and end essentially in the same place or echo the same themes, but usually it is the same characters and the same location. Here we'll see it's a different type of bookend because we do not end in the same place emotionally. In fact, it is exactly the opposite. And that heightens further the pain for Willow of losing Tara for the audience of seeing that violence happen. For now, though, the two are happy almost for the first time this season. This is the most joyful that we have seen Willow. They shift to talking about Buffy. She returned last night from the magic box, but went out again in search of the trio, and Willow did not hear her come back in. She says she's not worried about Buffy going up against the nerds, but she goes on, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I think something might be going on with Spike and Buffy. I mean, she looked so hurt when she saw him with Anya. I think maybe Tara cuts her off and says they've been sleeping together. 
Willow responds, no, I wouldn't go that far. And Tara says, no, I mean, she told me they've been sleeping together. This is hard for Willow to take in, and she says, sleeping together? You mean like the naked kind of together? Willow's puzzled and a little hurt that Buffy never told her, and Tara says Buffy might have been afraid of the look Willow would get on her face, like the look she has right now. Willow collects her thoughts and says she thinks Buffy might need to talk. She goes out in the hall to knock on Buffy's door, gets no answer, but Dawn comes out and asks if Buffy's back. Willow tries to assure her that things are fine, and Dawn asks if Willow thinks Buffy might hurt Spike. Willow says she told you about Spike. And Dawn responds that it's kind of obvious after last night. And Willow says, yeah, I I totally knew. Dawn worries about Xander too, but when Tara walks out wrapped in a blanket, Dawn is so thrilled. She almost squeals in delight. She tells them she loves them and she races off to stay out of their way. Dawn also about as happy as we've seen her this season. Now we're getting toward where we should see a story spark or inciting incident, which usually appears by 10% through the episode. It's there to get the main plot rolling. So whatever the opening conflict is, this is the conflict that sets off the story. It's a little challenging in this episode to find any of the major plot points and turns in a main plot because the main plot here doesn't get all that much airtime. And it's a little hard to say that there is a main plot. I've focused on the trio versus Buffy or Buffy versus the trio because those plot developments are the ones that will drive the rest of the season. But overall, the episode feels more like it is moving various season-long arcs along. At four minutes, Buffy breaks into the trio's basement lair. It is deserted, and she looks at some of their things and finds some plans. She frowns at a figurine of a female superhero in very scanty clothes and sees a whiteboard that says, uh, hand-printed on it, too late. Buzz saws burst out from all angles and head for Buffy. She escapes using acrobatics. But barely, there's a slash across her middle that goes through her coat, but not her skin. And it saws one of the large books she grabbed on the way out in half. The house itself is destroyed. I see this as the story spark because those plans and books Buffy salvaged eventually lead to her confrontation with the geek trio. This scene, though, adds to that feel for me of the whole trio arc moving slowly. Buffy has been looking for the trio forever. She knew where the lair was from a previous episode. At least she knew where a demon came out and attacked her. And she was apparently out all night after confronting Spike, Anya, and Xander in the last episode. So she did that at the Magic Box, returned home. Willow told her where the cameras were. And she went out in search of the trio. And it's a little confusing. Why did it take her all night to find the lair? Maybe like Xander, she was walking around collecting her thoughts. At 5 minutes 28 seconds, a bit late for most Buffy episodes, we go to credits. 
On return, a happy, giggly Willow and Tara join Buffy and Dawn in the living room. Buffy fills them in on what she found. Everyone becomes a bit more sober as they realize that they are the whole team right now. Buffy thinks Xander's not in the Scooby space. And when Dawn suggests asking Spike to check some demon bars... To help find the trio, Buffy says, Spike, Spike's not part of the team. Buffy also guesses that Anya's not feeling very researchy. That segues us to the next scene at 8 minutes 3 seconds where a young woman cries over a martini. She talks about her boyfriend and how he cheated on her with his sister and goes on, she's not even pretty. Anya responds, well, it isn't always about looks or a beating heart. Sometimes intimate relations with the wrong person just seem like a good idea at the time. A great description of her and Spike and a nice callback to that. And a good example, which we have throughout this episode, of ways to get in bits of backstory and remind readers or remind viewers of them through conflict. Earlier, the conversation between Dawn and Willow and Willow and Tara told us about Spike and Buffy. And now we have this reminder of why Anya slept with Spike. And we get more of that because as Anya tries to prompt the young woman to make a wish, she derails herself by going on and on about Sander and what he did to her. The woman's confused about Anya's rambling, but she gets the general idea and eventually says, quote, men suck. I wish Carl's flesh would just, unquote, It ends because Anya cuts her off to talk some more about Xander and how he knew he wasn't ready to get married, but he lied and lied and lied. I like that this scene continues what I see as Anya's character growth. Last episode, despite having become a vengeance demon again and spending all this time trying to get a wish against Xander, she stops Spike purposely from making a wish at the end. So she has grown in the sense that she's accepting and dealing with her pain rather than trying to numb it through vengeance. And now we see that she is not as fixated on getting vengeance for anyone. Sure, it's partly because she's upset about Xander, but back in the Cordelia days, in the episode The Wish, no way would Anyanka have been derailed no matter what else was going on. And here she doesn't even pick up on this woman literally using the words, I wish. She cuts off another I wish to say that Xander thinks he can just sweep it all away by saying, and the scene cuts to a cave and a voice saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Great segue here, but this is not Xander, it's Andrew. He's apologizing to a demon and he is on the ground kind of crab walking backwards away from it, very frightened. From behind, Warren tases the demon, but it takes a number of tries and finally the demon drops to the floor of the cave. Andrew grabs that taser and hits the demon over and over again, though it's down. He's clearly freaked out and he says he is done being the bait. Warren stops him because they need the demon to be fresh. And he says now it's Jonathan's turn. Warren continues his pattern in this episode of getting the others to do anything dangerous. At 10 minutes 47 seconds, about a quarter way through the episode, we get what is something of a story spark for Spike and Buffy and their episode subplot. 
John interrupts Spike, who is pouring himself another drink at his crypt. He notices she's carrying a bag full of her things, and she tells him she's going to Janice's to give Willow and Tara some space. And Spike, in a muted voice, says, oh, so the birds are flying again, eh? Ain't love grand. John asks if he'll be coming around anymore, and he says it's complicated niblet, which is something Buffy said earlier that it was complicated about Spike because she didn't want to explain. And John says everybody's been saying that, and Spike responds, must be true then. Don asks if what he did with Anya was worth it, and Spike is shocked that Buffy told her. She tells him the geeks had a camera in the magic box. Dawn asks Spike if he loves her. He answers about Anya, saying it was just a bad day for both of them, but Buffy cuts him off and clarifies she meant Buffy. There's a long silence, which she takes as his agreement that he does love Buffy, and she asks then how could he do that? And Spike says, oh right, because Big Sis was treating me so well up until that point. Dawn says she doesn't know what happened between them, but if he wanted to hurt Buffy, congratulations he did. Dawn's question and her visit seems to prompt Spike to think more about how his sleeping with Anya affected Buffy. For one thing, he didn't know before that Buffy actually saw it on video. And he has I think, multiple motives in going to see Buffy. He seems to feel more regret over sleeping with Anya and over hurting Buffy. John saying how much it hurt might add to Spike's hope that Buffy really does love him, and all of it might prompt him to feel he should go apologize to Buffy. As we'll see with Xander later, I like the scene between Don and Spike. It feels authentic and goes back to the connection between the two of them. In season five, Don has always felt a certain connection with Spike as he has with her. They have both felt a bit like outsiders. He comforted her when she discovered she was the key. He tried to help her after Joyce's death. And this fits all of that because while Dawn is a bit angry at Spike, she's also sad that he might not be around anymore and seems genuinely to be trying to understand why Spike did this. This last scene spun the Buffy and Spike season-long story arc to an extent. They have been doing this back and forth all season, but here Spike sees how much he hurt Buffy, where more of the season has been about Buffy hurting his feelings. Next, we get what I think of as the one-quarter twist in the major plot. So the one-quarter twist, which usually comes about a quarter to a third of the way through any story, should come from outside the protagonist, spin the story in a new direction, and raise the stakes. And this next scene, the entirety of it, does that. I don't know that there's one specific moment, but at 13 minutes, 27 seconds in, the trio is still in that cave, and they're now near a mystical barrier. Warren says they found it. We don't know what it is, but only Nesla demons can pass through this barrier. Everything else gets curly fried. 
Jonathan appears, he's inside the demon's skin. It's over him, almost like a costume. And Warren says, it should still be fresh enough. And Jonathan says, should be. What do you mean should be? Warren just throws him through that barrier. And after Jonathan gets through it, Warren is happy and says he wasn't sure it would work. Jonathan calls him a jackass and stalks away. This probably adds to his desire expressed last episode to get rid of both Warren and Andrew and be done with them. And this continues what we've seen of Warren's character when there is magic to be done or a test of something. He has usually Jonathan do it and Jonathan is often somewhat hurt or in danger of dying, though we saw him do this with Andrew earlier. Andrew was the bait. Andrew now asks if Warren thinks Jonathan knows. And Warren says no, otherwise why would Jonathan have joined them? Andrew questions why Warren is keeping Jonathan in on anything. He and Warren could have handled this today, but Warren asks if Andrew wanted to be the meat suit guinea pig, doubling down on the idea that Warren really didn't know if throwing Jonathan through there would work. Andrew says he doesn't trust, quote, that little leprechaun, end quote, and Warren reassures him that if all goes well, they'll be rid of Jonathan soon. We heard this in the last episode as well, and that robs it of a bit of its power because we have no reason to think right now that anything is going to happen regarding that. It does, though, set up the climax or foreshadow it because there, Warren and Andrew, it turns out, will have jetpacks that should allow them to get away from Buffy and from the big heist they're planning, and Jonathan doesn't, so they are planning to leave him alone to take the fall for them. Jonathan returns through the barrier carrying a box. Warren grabs it and opens it. It's the orbs of Neslicon. Jonathan's all slimy with the demon's innards. These orbs look a little bit larger than golf balls. They seem to be glass. There are all these designs on them. Warren holds them in his hands and flashing lights courses through him. Warren is thrilled and says they work, clearly feeling energized and empowered. And we cut to a commercial. So this is that turn now Warren has all this power and we'll find out in a moment he's almost invulnerable. This metaphor about the orbs is a bit on the nose which is likely intentional given the themes about quote-unquote being a real man and power in the episode. We'll see later Warren's going to wear these balls in a pouch near his waist, hitting us over the head with a hammer with this metaphor. At 15 minutes, 52 seconds, we come back from commercial and Jonathan comments that Warren doesn't look different. Aren't they supposed to make him ugly and veiny? Warren says, let's find out if it's working. For once, he takes a chance himself, though he's clearly very confident. The demon appears, Warren fights it, and easily overcomes it. He also easily shoves Jonathan away when Jonathan wants to try the orbs. Warren says, relax, you'll each get a whirl as soon as I'm done playing with them. Another callback to Katrina. It is so much what he said about her when they used the dampener on her to take her will away from her. And this goes to that theme that will run throughout the episode of women as objects. And I'm sure it's no mistake that with all the sexual assault and rape 
themes and actions in this episode that we are calling back to their doing the equivalent of drugging Katrina so they can rape her and then killing her. It also fits Warren in that, of course, he does not want to share the power with anyone. At 16 minutes, 28 seconds, Buffy goes to Xander's apartment. She is there half smiling to offer an olive branch. He's surly. He offers her a beer, which she declines given how early in the day it is. They sit down and ostensibly she talks about Anya, but there is a lot of subtext about her and Spike. Buffy says, quote, she loves you, end quote, and explains that she, meaning Anya, was just hurting and then says, quote, she was hurting and she did this really stupid thing, end quote. And Xander says, with your boyfriend. Buffy denies that Spike's her boyfriend. Xander says he knows why Anya, and he cuts off and goes on. But with Buffy, all those times he told Spike to get lost, that he didn't have a chance with a girl like Buffy. And all of his words go to my thought that I mentioned either last episode or the previous, that some of Xander's anger is that he is embarrassed about how wrong he got all of it, what an ass he was about it. But there's more to it. So as with Spike having multiple motives, we're going to see multiple for Xander here. And all of them do fit how Xander has acted all season and really throughout the series. Buffy now says, you don't know how hard it's been. And Xander says, what, lying to me? Buffy says, being here after I was brought back, you have no idea how hard it is just being here. And Xander says, you could have told me. Buffy responds, you didn't want to know. I'm excited to tell you that thanks to everyone who pre-ordered the ebook editions of Buffy in the Art of Story Season 3, Part 1, Write More Gripping Plots, Characters, and Themes by Watching Buffy. It debuted as a number one new release in genre fiction writing on Amazon. It is now available in multiple ebook formats, pretty much any platform you could want to get it on. So if you have not picked it up yet and you want to check it out, you can find links to the ebook editions and the print editions of all the Buffy books at lisalilly.com slash Buffy or in the show notes. When Buffy tells Xander he didn't want to hear about it, I'm not sure she's being fair to him. This is the one moment when I think that might be so because of all the friends, Xander is most likely to have listened to Buffy and been able to hear her feelings about coming back. It would be really hard for Willow because Willow is still struggling with all that guilt. Buffy could have talked to Anya, but they don't really have that kind of relationship. But with Xander, he isn't struggling with that as much. And I think that he would have listened had she told him. But it does fit Buffy's character arc in this season. She's depressed when you're depressed. It's often hard to believe that anyone really wants to be there for you. And often people react badly and have a hard time hearing about how much pain you are in, even if they are good friends. Now Xander is snarky or continues to be snarky and comments on how he felt because Buffy, quote, went to him in dead end quote meaning spike and Buffy finally says Xander what I do with my personal life 
life is none of your business. Xander says it used to be. This probably is another motive for Xander. He feels like they're not close anymore and they used to share everything. Probably it seems like Buffy is not really his friend anymore if she's not confiding in him. Though if he thought about it more and remembered how awful he was constantly about Angel, you can see why Buffy would not tell him about Spike. I I do think, though we don't see it directly, that he reflects on that later. For now, Buffy says it just happened and Xander is really awful and says, oh, like, uh, say you're evil, get on me. This too is foreshadowing for what Spike does later. Right now, Buffy points out Xander's hypocrisy. He fought side by side with Spike when Buffy was gone and he let him take care of Dawn. Xander argues it's different because he never forgot what Spike was. I'm not sure if that's true because if he really felt that way, he should not have left Spike with Dawn. They don't know if that chip is going to work forever. And this is an instance where I think Xander is kidding himself. He didn't believe Spike would hurt Dawn, even if he could. He's making that distinction defensively and not wanting to admit where a lot of his feelings come from. And he goes on, God, what were you thinking? And Buffy says, you're asking me that? And points out that his decision-making skills have really been great lately. He tells her he's made mistakes, but slaughtering half of Europe wasn't one of them, conveniently forgetting that he was going to marry Anya, who as a vengeance demon probably slaughtered half of Europe. But that is okay for Xander, but not for Buffy. There's also dramatic irony here where the audience knows something Xander doesn't because as he's pontificating, uh, Anya is actually back in the vengeance game. Xander points out that Spike doesn't have a soul, quote, just some leash they jammed in his head, end quote, and asks if Buffy would trust him if the chip stopped working. Would she trust him with John then? Buffy doesn't tell him that the chip doesn't work with her. She just says it doesn't matter. It's over. And pissy Xander crushes his beer can and says, yeah, There's a lot of that going around and stalks out of the apartment. The one motive Xander doesn't express, but that the season and previous seasons have shown us probably is the major one, is his anger that Buffy picked the evil guy over him. And this fits the episode's themes exploring rape culture and misogyny as we're going to see now Warren treating women as a thing that he can possess or not that a man can take from another man and use as a weapon against another man to shore up their own cracked self-image and give them a feeling of power. I feel like the male characters here are on a sort of spectrum. Xander seems to be meant to be the quote-unquote nice guy or the least worst on the spectrum. We have Warren who is pretty far along. He's going to say all these things and he did. uh, Actually, I would put him in the same category as Spike for the season. 
because he sexually assaulted Katrina, as Spike will do with Buffy. But in this episode, we don't see him doing that, but we have him saying all the things, and so many of them are embedded in our culture, and then we will see Spike taking these actions. I'm unsure if the writers think they are writing Xander as a nice guy. If they are intending to do that, it still works with that theme because it shows how these views about gender and manhood and misogyny permeate the culture so much and especially back in the 90s filtered right into seeing Xander as a nice guy who somehow is entitled to control or criticize Buffy's sexual choices because she had the nerve to not be attracted to him and it's all very consistent with how Xander has acted. Oddly Spike the one we see committing sexual assault isn't trying to use Buffy in that way. He's not trying to use Buffy to dominate another man or to show he's a real man. But nonetheless, his actions are the extension of Xander's attitudes and Warren's. At 19 minutes, 8 seconds, a sad song plays while Xander boohoos his way through Sunnydale's streets. Anya cleans in the magic box. He peers through the windows at her but doesn't go in. At 20 minutes, 7 seconds, Willow and Tara are in bed again, still happy, but Willow is working on her laptop, trying to decipher and decrypt the geek trio's data. Willow finds some blueprints but needs more information to sort them out. Tara suggests visiting the county clerk's office, which Willow is firmly against if it means getting out of bed. At 20 minutes, 51 seconds, Xander ends up at what might be one of those demons bars Dawn mentioned earlier that Spike should check out. A young woman flirts with Xander as he drinks away his sorrow. He tells her he's better off being alone tonight using fish metaphors because she commented on him being wet from the rain outside. He talks about his ex spawning with a fish, quote, who turns out to be spawning with, end quote, his good friend, quote, behind my back, end quote. Another example of Xander's feelings of entitlement and I think no mistake that at that moment the orb enhanced Warren and the other two come in. Jonathan mutters that they don't have time for this. Andrew tells him to ease up. Warren sees a couple off to one side and heads for them. We're at the midpoint of the episode and usually here in any story you'll see the protagonist making a major commitment, throwing caution to the wind, or suffering a major reversal. Here, there will be a major reversal for Buffy, but it doesn't relate to the main plot of Buffy versus the trio in any way. It is a reversal for her storyline with Spike, but the scene where it occurs essentially encompasses their whole subplot for this episode, or almost the whole subplot. At 21 minutes, 58 seconds, Buffy fights a vampire in the graveyard. She quips, quote, how hard are you going to hit when you're blowing in the wind, end quote. But it turns out pretty hard because she stakes him, but he gets in a last two-footed kick before 
turning entirely to dust, and the kick sends her flying into a gravestone so hard that the gravestone breaks. And Buffy groans and says, that was rhetorical. She groans again as she shifts on the ground. It's very rare for us to see Buffy in that much pain. And that's important because for Spike to have any chance of overpowering Buffy later, she first needs to be weakened. And that's something to keep in mind if you have a super powerful protagonist, whether that's physically, emotionally, intellectually, and you want genuine conflict and suspense, you need something to happen before that confrontation with the antagonist that makes that protagonist vulnerable so that there is suspense for the audience. While Buffy and Spike we've seen are close to evenly matched it's clear from previous interactions that Buffy, generally speaking, is stronger than Spike in every physical fight they've had. She has gotten the better of him even before he started falling for her. At 22 minutes, 22 seconds, Buffy, clearly still sore, is in her bathroom. She puts her hand on her lower back as she starts water in the tub. She's wearing a long robe. Spike walks into the bathroom, shuts the door, and says they need to talk. She tells him to get out. She's got nothing to say. Shutting the door sets the tone for this scene. It closes the two of them into a space. It makes it less likely anyone will hear Buffy. And it evokes that sexual harassment image of the boss or supervisor who shuts the office door. Spike tells her this isn't only about her, and he apologizes for sleeping with Anya. He says he needed her to know how sorry he is because he cares about her. Buffy tells him then he might want to try not sleeping with her friends. But he says that's not why he went to Anya. He was looking for a spell. Buffy gets angry. She thinks he was going to try to use a spell on her. Not exactly unfair of her to think, given that Spike was trying to do that when Drusilla left him. Spike sighs, then he gets angry and tells her the spell was not for her. It was to make his feelings stop, that he can't stand feeling this way. Then he gets sad and says he should have let Xander kill him. Buffy says she wouldn't want that, and he asks why and says it's because she loves him. And why does she keep lying to herself about them? But Buffy tells him that yes, she has feelings for him, but she could never trust him enough to love him. And Spike scoffs at that. Spike says trust is for old marrieds, Buffy. Great love is wild and passionate and dangerous. It burns and consumes. And Buffy says until there's nothing left. She tells him love like that doesn't last. He argues he knows she feels as he does and she does have to hide it anymore. I struggle with this part of the conversation as well as some things later because I'm not sure I buy that this is why Buffy doesn't love Spike. She's almost admitting here that she feels love for him but she doesn't trust him and we we haven't seen that before with Buffy. Sure there's a distinction she trusted Angel but she kept loving him even when he turned to Angelus and later despite that she knew he could turn into Angelus again she wanted to stay with him. I am not sure that it's true that trust is the issue here. Though 
it could be another way of saying, yeah, you don't have a soul, so I can't be with you. But this feels more like a vehicle for Spike to articulate his different view of love from Buffy's. I do buy that Buffy would be looking for something different in a love relationship than Spike. Buffy tells him to please stop this, meaning the conversation, but he grabs Buffy, tells her to let herself feel it, insists that she loves him, and ignores her when she is yelling at him to stop as he tries to kiss her and to initiate sex. She falls on the floor. The shower curtain pulls down when she grabs it, and she tells him she is hurt, but he gets on top of her, and we cut to a commercial as she is yelling at him. And this is that callback to Xander's comment, say, you're evil, get on me, though obviously Buffy is not saying that to Spike, but that is what Spike is doing, and he is showing that he is evil. At 24 minutes, 41 seconds, we return from commercial to the exact same moment. Buffy is yelling, telling him to stop. She's grunting and fighting. Spike says he knew she felt it when he was inside her and he'll make her feel it again. He tears her robe away as she yells at him to stop. I give the writers, directors, and actors a lot of credit here because this scene is drastically different from earlier scenes we saw in the season where Spike and Buffy are violent with one another as part of sex, their first time having sex. There is a lot of punching and hitting on Buffy's part, on Spike's part. They bring the house down and there is anger and they trade insults. And then later we see that they are engaging in bondage play. There are hints that Buffy lets Spike hurt her when she talks to Tara about it, uh, though that's not entirely clear. But all of this scene is so very different. It is clear that Buffy is not consenting. This is not play. And that Spike knows that. He's ignoring her saying that he's hurting her. He knows that she isn't consenting. And despite that, he's saying, well, I'm going to make you feel this again. And in the moment, perhaps is telling himself it's not about violating Buffy or hurting Buffy. It's clear that it is. All the same, I don't quite buy Spike doing this because we have not seen him hurt Buffy. Even when he discovered his chip did not work anymore, he fought her, but I didn't get a sense that he was really trying to kill her. Unlike back before he got the chip, unlike in season two when Spike was ready to kill Buffy and she and Joyce stopped him, this whole season, he's not that I can think of, tell me if I'm wrong, done anything where his aim seemed to be to hurt Buffy physically, even when she was beating him up, he let her do it. And he has been angry at her before. He has been hurt before. Now, maybe Xander's abuse of him last episode, all the things Xander hurled at him, the fact that Buffy did not contradict any of it, might have tipped him over the edge. Also, I know that Joss Whedon has said, and I think other writers have said, that the point of this whole scene was to show that Spike is still evil. He doesn't have a soul, so that chip really is a leash jammed in his head, which undercuts the changes we have seen in Spike over the series. I could accept it, though, 
if the show were more consistent about what having a soul means and doesn't mean, but it is the show's way of telling us that without a soul, Spike, no matter how much he has changed, is still a creature that would do this to Buffy, that would not shrink from violating her. Buffy finally is able to kick Spike across the room. He slams into the wall, stands up, breathing hard, and now he looks troubled, as if it is hitting him what he did. Buffy, too, stands, pulls her robe closed, and says, ask me again why I could never love you. And he says, Buffy, oh my god, I didn't. And Buffy says, because I stopped you. This is another line I just don't get at all. I I don't know what that means. Ask me why I could never love you because I stopped you. I feel like the line should have been because you are a being that could do this, that would do this. Maybe despite that you came here to apologize and say you care about me, you did this. But instead she says because I stopped you. And she does go on with something that makes a little more sense to me and says, something I should have done a long time ago. We cut to a long shot of that bar. It's 25 minutes, 34 seconds. Jonathan worries to Andrew that someone will recognize them while Warren is over there hitting on a young woman. The man she was with walked away. Jonathan thinks Warren's going to get them thrown in jail and says, quote, maybe you and I should think about. But before we hear what he's going to say, Andrew cuts him off and says Warren is the boss. Warren is bragging to the young woman about cars, and money. She's clearly not that interested and her boyfriend interrupts and tells Warren to get lost and calls him a shrimp. Warren reminds the guy that they knew each other in high school. This guy and his gym buddies used to harass Warren and Warren says, I thought I'd never stop crying, end quote, which momentarily gives me some sympathy for Warren. And we saw this earlier that that some of his actions are to show that he is not that kid who got picked on anymore. It's to take control. And this is another example of themes of masculinity here. It is that this guy and his friends beat up on Warren because Warren was weaker. And now Warren, to deal with that, is going to become strong and powerful and a worse person than those guys were. And that's what becoming a man means to him. He now says, Warren says, no hard feelings, quote, I knew it was just fooling around, like I'm going to be with your girl in about five minutes, end quote. So this treatment of women as objects, as weapons to use against another girl, that sex with that girl would be dominating this guy who bullied Warren and would be getting back at him. The, the woman doesn't matter in that scenario to Warren. She's not a human being. The guy now threatens Warren, tries to shove him, but he can't budge Warren, and Warren says, this ain't high school. Now, Warren's actions and his history with Katrina refute the premise if the show is trying to say to us, a soul is what makes someone good. But it could fit that overall theme because perhaps the message is not that a soul makes someone good, but that with it, there isn't the potential for goodness. Warren fights back. He throws the guy aside, beats 
him up pretty badly and goes to the bar where he hits the cash register until it opens and tells three women at the bar not to worry about their tab and goes on that daddy will give them some money. Xander comes out of the restroom and catches only that part of it and tells Warren maybe he shouldn't refer to himself as daddy and why doesn't he leave the quote ladies to their impending nausea end quote. Jonathan under his breath says oh crap. Xander suggests he and Warren take it outside and Warren says okay but now he doubles down on that using women as objects and weapons and says he wants to ask Xander something first. Can Xander put in a good word with that Anya chick quote because if she's taking it from a vamp I think I might have a chance end quote. Xander, like the guy, responds by slugging Warren. There is this element of protecting my property, protecting my right to a particular woman. It, as with the guy, has little effect. And Warren says, no wonder she's screwing a dead guy. You hit like a girl. And Xander answers, well, at least I know how to get one. A call back to when Warren created April the Robot Girlfriend, who was literally an object, but who we learned did have feelings and was human-like in many ways. Warren punches Xander across the room. Xander's on his back. His nose is bleeding. Warren is about to probably kill him when Jonathan pulls his arm, points to his watch, and says they'll miss what they need to do if Warren keeps fighting. In the foreshadowing section, I'm going to talk about misleads of the audience and when it's fair and when it's not. For now, I want to recommend a movie that is not at all supernatural, but is a great example of how to write something where you play fair with the audience, but the audience doesn't know what's coming. You create suspense, you lead them one way, and things turn out another way. And when you rewatch, it works both ways. That's playing fair. And the movie is an independent film called Wake, W-A-K-E. It stars Ian Somerhalder, who is in The Vampire Diaries, one of my favorite actors in that. He was also in Lost. He is the antagonist in a rom-com. And the writing, acting, and directing are all really great in this. I watched it because I just wanted something that looked a little bit lighter but had enough suspense to keep me intrigued. And because when I like an actor, I'll often look to see what else they have done. So if you are looking for something to watch, I recommend it. I watched it on Apple TV. You can also, I think, rent it on YouTube or Google Play. If you do, I'd love to hear it. Back to Buffy, I did finally outline that bonus episode. I mentioned last week I was going to do one about the trio. It's been a challenge since I don't love the trio, but I ended up with a slightly different theme. The bonus is called Crime, Punishment, and the Trio. By the time you hear this, it should be available. So if you are a patron or if you want to join and become a patron so you can listen to the bonuses, go to Patreon patreon.com slash Lisa M. Lilly. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash L-I-S-A M is in Marie L-I-L-L-Y and you can hear all the bonus episodes for as little as a dollar a month. (laughs) 
Jonathan's look at Xander suggests that Jonathan also just doesn't want Xander to get killed. Andrew worries about leaving Xander there. What if he sicks the Slayer on them? But Warren says, bring it on. At 28 minutes, 20 seconds, Xander, still bloody, enters Buffy's home, yells that he found Warren, but then he sees Spike's jacket over the banister, doubles down on being a total jerk, grabs the jacket and storms upstairs to engage in more entitlement behavior and says, so you're not seeing Spike anymore. But he cuts off when he sees Buffy. She's sitting against the tub, her hand on her head. There is a large bruise on her inner thigh and he demands to know if Spike hurt her. And Buffy says he tried, he didn't. Today, I suspect Buffy would not refer to it as he didn't because Spike did assault her. He did hurt her. In the 90s and early 2000s, the prevailing view was more that if someone attempted a rape but didn't quote-unquote succeed, it was not considered in the same category. I think now the law and culture recognizes that this was still a sexual assault against Buffy. Criminal law has specific elements, so it would depend on your state how it would be categorized, but culturally, I think we would not minimize what happened the same way. Xander wants to go after Spike. Buffy, near tears, tells him, please, just don't. So she is clearly strongly affected. I don't mean to say that Buffy is making light of this, but the writers, I think, and would not word things quite the same way now. Willow bursts in to say they found something. She stops seeing Buffy's bruise, but Buffy pulls the robe over it and says it's nothing, asks what they found. At 29 minutes, five seconds, Willow and Tara are downstairs at the dining table. They explain to Buffy and Xander what they found, but mention that there's a code that they can't identify. It's in another language. And Xander says it's Klingon, their love poems, which has nothing to do with the insidious scheme you're about to describe. It's interesting that we get this parallel between Xander and the geeks here, and we have seen them before. It makes me wonder again, are the writers saying, hey, you can be a geek, but you can be a good guy like Xander? Or is it a way to show that misogyny and the misogyny of a lot of geekdom in the sense of comic book characters permeates throughout even guys who would not do the things that Andrew, Warren, and Jonathan do, ones who are not out-and-out criminals, but that misogyny is still there and that what we would now today call toxic masculinity affects everyone. Tara and Willow show Buffy the plans and schematics and explain that these are armored car routes and the trio is looking to hit a number of them and steal a lot of money. Buffy is worried she can't go to all these spots, but Willow and Tara narrowed it down to one for tonight. It's happening soon. Xander warns her to be careful and says, quote, Warren's gone all mighty mouse, emphasis on the might end quote. This is one of two pop culture references I love because I was a huge fan of Mighty Mouse as a kid. Buffy says, good, then I won't have to hold back. 
Somewhere around here or a bit later, we should see another major plot turn. That's the one that typically comes two-thirds to three-quarters through the episode. It should grow from the midpoint and spin the story in yet another new direction. Because we don't have a midpoint in the main plot, it's hard to say what spins out of it. We do see a turn in the Buffy Spike arc, though this affects more their season arc than this particular episode subplot, but this does grow out of that midpoint, which was a reversal for Buffy. And in Spike's plot, in the subplot where Spike is the protagonist, that whole scene was a commitment to do that to Buffy, to commit to being evil, whether he was entirely conscious of it or not, and a major reversal. We see Spike at 29 minutes, 58 seconds, storming into his crypt, flashing back to Buffy, screaming at him to stop that he's hurting her. He grabs a bottle of vodka, drinks half a glass, still flashing back, and he crushes the glass with his hands. Clem appears. He came by with hot wings. He's ready to watch the Knight Rider marathon another fun cultural reference my ex-boyfriend and I used to watch that show in reruns when we were broke and didn't have any money to go out we'd watch Knight Rider Spike rambles on about what he did and why he didn't do it and says quote what has she done to me end quote this part strikes me as believable Attacking Buffy causes Spike to reflect on who he is and how far he is from his early season two self that did respect Buffy, but she was the adversary and he would have killed her if he could. Clem realizes this is about the Slayer, asks if she broke up with Spike again, and Spike says they were never really together, quote, she'd never lower herself that Far, end quote. A callback to season five where Buffy said he was beneath her and to his feeling that he is evil and all these evil soulless thing comments which he has now proved right. Clem points out that Buffy is sweet but she has issues and no wonder with coming back from the grave. Spike asks why he feels this way and Clem says loves a funny thing. Spike goes on about feeling the chip squirming in his head. Everything was clearer before. Vampire kills Vampire Slayer. He did it twice before, but with Buffy, it's different, and it's not supposed to be. He's so angry, he's knocking over furniture as he talks. He says, it's the chip. It won't let me be a monster, and I can't be a man. I'm nothing. Clem tells him things change. You never know what's around the corner, and we see by Spike's expression that he has gotten an idea idea and in a deep voice he says that they do if you make them. At 33 minutes on a mostly deserted street, two guards load an armored car near an amusement park. It's the day's take of cash or maybe the week's. Warren lifts up the back of the truck as they're trying to drive away and he tips it over. Andrew watching tells Jonathan he can't wait to get his hands on those orbs and Jonathan says yeah I'm sure he'll be giving them up any second now. Continuing this metaphor of orbs as power, Buffy appears on top of the van and tells Warren if it's not his bank there's going to be a fee for that withdrawal. He says he was wondering when Superbitch would show up. They fight. He is extremely strong, but... 
Buffy flings him aside and an arch made of boulders falls onto Warren. We think he's defeated, but as Buffy approaches Jonathan and Andrew, Warren rises from the rubble and he asks what's the matter. She never fought a, quote, real man, end quote, before. So hitting that theme again of what a real man is and tying it directly with misogyny. And I don't mean that the writers think that's what a real man is, but they are showing how that concept in our culture is linked to misogyny. At 34 minutes, 50 seconds, we return from a commercial and it's a good fight between Buffy and Warren, but he is getting the better of her. Andrew is cheering him on saying, kill her, kill her. Warren gloats about beating the Slayer and not with muscles, it's the brains. Interesting that that matters so much to him because Katrina also was brainy and she rejected him. And to me, it suggests that is even tougher for Warren. Yes, Buffy is physically stronger than him, but I think he almost psychologically could cope with that because she's supernatural. She's super powered. So it's sort of not his fault if he couldn't match her physically. He mainly physically had trouble with men bullying him. But the fact that Katrina was smarter than him and didn't want him or as smart as him. He needs to show he's not just physically more powerful than women. He is smarter and he outwitted Buffy. Now we are going to the climax where the protagonist and antagonist have their final clash and resolve the conflict. During this fight, Jonathan leaps on Buffy's back, pretending he's trying to choke her, but he whispers in her ear that she needs to smash the orbs. She throws him off, not showing that he said anything. Warren overpowers Buffy and is about to deliver a killing blow and says, say goodnight, bitch. But she sees the pouch at his waist, grabs it, and smashes the orbs. More symbolism. There's a flash. Warren looks panicked. Buffy stands and says, goodnight, bitch. She hits him and tells him he's a sad little boy. It's time to grow up and pay for what he's done. More reference to being a man. Warren, though, reveals that he has a jetpack hidden under his jacket. He fires it up and flies off into the sky. Buffy looks up and says, oh, come on. This ends the main conflict. We will get a game changer at the end. But Warren has prevailed in that confrontation. I still struggled to call it a main plot because not that much happens in it during this episode. We don't get a lot of screen time. The geeks get the orbs. They already had planned these schemes. Buffy's friends finally figure out what they're doing and she goes and confronts them. So even though Xander has that confrontation in the middle, that doesn't really affect Buffy's fight. Sure, she goes into it knowing Warren's superpowered, but I don't think she would have done anything differently if she didn't know that. She just would have been a bit more surprised. Oh, also Buffy found the lair in the beginning, but that's that's it for that main plot. We've also had this subplot with Willow and Tara that continues the season arc uh, of them splitting up and now reconnecting. And I'm I'm not quite sure you even can call it a subplot for this episode because yes, we see them be happy. I suppose it could be the subplot of now that they've reconnected, how do they handle that? So they're happy. They begin working together again. They tell others that they are together. And now we're going to end that uh, subplot or that part of the season arc 
in the falling action. And what the falling action does is tie up loose ends from the main plot and resolve subplots and sometimes further season arcs. Buffy now turns to Jonathan and Andrew. We're going to tie up some loose ends of Buffy versus Warren and Buffy versus the trio. Jonathan is distraught to find out that Andrew, too, has a jetpack. After making a comic booky threat to Buffy, he reveals it. But when he flies up, he hits the roof over his head. It's a surprise to us because of the camera angle. We didn't know they were standing under a building overhang. At 36 minutes, 59 seconds, police cars drive up with their sirens going to the Sunnydale police station with Jonathan and Andrew. They are taken in. They're going to be put in jail cells. Jonathan's mad at Andrew because he too had a jetpack and because Jonathan was being left out. Andrew's nearly crying and he says, how can he do this to me? He promised we'd be together, but he was just using me. He never really loved hanging out with us. This adds to that theme of what is a real man in the world of the geek trio. It clearly doesn't include being in love with another man. So while Warren almost certainly knew that about Andrew and did use him and take advantage of that, it was never spoken before and even now Andrew stops short. Jonathan probably doesn't care, especially at this moment, because he is so upset himself. Jonathan's such an interesting character because you could see his attempt to help Buffy as him being better than the other three. And maybe he is somewhat, just as he partly helped Xander out of concern for him, not just so that they got to their last heist. Also, he is trying to get out of this, but he was still willing to go along with the last heist. And yes, he helped Buffy defeat Warren, but it could have come out of his anger at Warren, that Warren keeps putting him in danger, and his suspicions that Warren can't be trusted. So another man with multiple motives. Xander had multiple motives. Spike had multiple motives. Jonathan has multiple motives. At the Sunnydale City limits, Spike pauses on his motorcycle and speaks aloud, though Buffy isn't there, to her, telling the Slayer to get comfy because when he's back, quote, things are going to change, and quote, he sounds very menacing and he rides off. At 38 minutes, 14 seconds, Willow and Tara get dressed and kiss and hug. They are so happy together. As they hug, Tara looks over Willow's shoulder. She can see through the window and says, Xander. Xander is in the backyard and Tara and Willow talk about that they hope that he and Buffy, who's also out there, are making up. Buffy is poking a stick at the foliage. Xander makes a joke about it and Buffy says, just making sure there are no more evil trio cameras or evil Uno. And Xander says, the sinister yet addictive card game. They smile at each other, real smiles now, and Buffy tells him what happened with the trio and that Warren took off. Xander says, Warren will find the other two, quote, he won't be much good without his friends, end quote. Buffy agrees that he won't and he sits down. I do like the use of subtext throughout the Buffy and Xander conversations. That's often a very powerful way for the characters to convey emotion and for the audience to fill in the blanks and feel that emotion more. Xander asks how they got there and Buffy says the scenic route 
And Xander tells her it hurt that she didn't trust him enough to tell him about Spike. So we have that trust theme again. She apologizes and says she should have told him. He finally says maybe she would have if he hadn't given her so many reasons to think he'd be an ass. I don't think it's an accident that of all the trust references here, everyone shows that the other person was right not to trust them. Buffy doesn't trust Spike. He proves her right. Warren and Andrew don't trust Jonathan, and he proves them right. And he learns that his suspicions about them were correct. He could not trust them. Andrew learns that he couldn't trust Warren. He thought he could, but he couldn't. And Xander acknowledges that there's a reason Buffy didn't trust him enough to tell him about Spike. Overall, the episode seems to suggest that no one is worthy of trust, at least here, or perhaps that if we feel we can't trust someone, we should trust that feeling. Buffy and Xander agree that they've both done things they're not proud of. Xander says he doesn't know what he'd do without Buffy and Willow, and as they hug, Buffy says she loves him, and in a mirror of the moment before with Tara and Willow, as they embrace, Xander sees over Buffy's shoulder. He says Buffy, and Warren enters. And that mirroring of the two couples, their positions, and the looking over the shoulder cue us visually that there is going to be another and more terrible link between the two, a more terrible mirroring. Now Warren says, you think you can just do that to me? You think I'd let you get away with that? And he pulls out a gun and shoots more than once. Xander and Buffy are on the ground. Warren runs off, firing one last wild shot behind him. We cut to Willow. She is smiling as she looks at Tara, but is suddenly splattered with blood across her white shirt. The camera cuts to Tara. She's looking at Willow, and there is a large hole near her heart where the bullet went through, and it's her blood that spattered Willow. And Tara, not taking it in, sees the blood on Willow and says, your shirt, and collapses, and Willow screams her name. Xander stands in the yard, goes to Buffy, who's on her back. She's shot in nearly the same place as Tara. And the scene cuts between the two couples. Willow is sobbing and cradling Tara. Xander is bending over Buffy, his hand over her wound. And now we get to that bookend, Tara and Willow in that bedroom where they reunited and were so happy. Now devastation as we realize that Warren has killed Tara and as Willow realizes it, devastated and angry and in a rage, looks up and her irises turn large and red and that ends the episode. Seeing Red does give a great example of a game changer versus a cliffhanger because the Buffy and Trio conflict resolved in the scene with the fight between her and Warren. Then there is a game changer. Warren returns to get revenge and shoots not only Buffy, but Willow, changing everything going forward. So we don't have an unresolved main plot. Warren prevailed and then comes back, initiates this game changer. Willow and Tara, we had a complete 
sort of subplot. We finished a several episode arc of Willow and Tara reconnecting happily and now game changer Tara is dead. That's it for the episode other than foreshadowing which does include spoilers. If you find the way I talk about story helpful and want to try it out for your own writing you can get the Buffy in the Art of Story books or you can download free story structure worksheets at writingasasecondcareer.com slash worksheets. If you're not staying around for foreshadowing and spoilers, thank you so much for listening and a special thank you for patrons who support the show and help me keep going forward with it. Come back in two weeks for the next episode, Villains, where Buffy struggles to recover and Willow is out for revenge. we're back for foreshadowing which does include spoilers Anya not letting that young woman make a wish foreshadows next season where Anya's commitment to vengeance at least until we get to the episode selfless is a little bit wishy-washy and her friend Hallie will call her on that and point out the hazards of that so Anya's heart isn't really in the vengeance game anymore it also makes it believable that in the remaining episodes, Anya will be helping Buffy and Xander try to stop Willow rather than aiding Willow in her quest for vengeance. She does explain that if Willow called on her as a vengeance demon, Anya would have to help Willow. But she is able to make a choice because Willow didn't call on her and the choice she makes isn't on the side of vengeance. This episode also sets up the further split between Warren, Andrew, and Jonathan, where Jonathan is going to continue to be more willing to help Buffy and Xander, though it is also out of self-interest because Willow wants to kill the two of them, but he feels more remorse and more responsibility for what they have done. Warren's actions in this episode set up him abandoning the other two entirely, Spike telling the Slayer to get comfy because things are going to change. This is the start of Miss leading statements by Spike, actions by Spike, because we are going to see him in the coming episodes go through these trials. And almost everything he says strongly shows that his intent is to get rid of the chip, become his old villainous self, and go after Buffy for real. And then we'll find out that no, uh, down the road, that in fact he was trying to get his soul back. I'm not sure if that becomes clear in this episode, this season. We do find out he gets his soul back. But I thought in that moment, I thought the demon he went to see tricked him, took him literally because he says, make me what I was. And we think he's saying, get rid of that chip. And the demon knows that, but instead restores his soul. But we'll find out definitely in season seven that Spike actually did want his soul back so that that's where I'll talk I guess in season seven about that mislead finally Xander saying he doesn't know what he'd do without Buffy and Willow that is going to be a theme through the next 
three episodes and some of season seven when it comes to Willow because Xander is going to fight so hard to keep Willow as the person he knows and loves, though he will do one thing I will give him a lot of credit for. He still loves Willow no matter what she does. But here we see what a huge fear that is for Xander and how much Buffy's and Willow's friendship means to him setting up the losses or potential losses. That's it for foreshadowing and spoilers. Thank you again for listening. Come back in two weeks for season six, episode 20, Villains, where Warren tries to flee, everyone grapples with Tara's death, and Willow turns to darkness and magic in her pursuit of vengeance. If you enjoyed this episode of Buffy and the Art of Story, please rate or review it wherever you listen to podcasts. Tell a friend about it or share it on social media. You can find back episodes of the podcast on YouTube or at lisalilly.com, where you can also find my mysteries and thrillers and the Buffy and the Art of Story books. If you'd like to connect or share your thoughts about Buffy, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Lisa M. Lily. That's L-I-S-A-M as in Marie, L-I-L-L-Y. Or email me at BuffyStoryPod at gmail.com. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved.